ladies and gentlemen, welcome into episode 14 of the Pegasus podcast presented by Night Sports Now. I am Bailey Adams and I'm joined as always by Christian Simmons. You can find us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at ByCA Simmons, and go ahead and throw us a follow at Night Sports Now while you're there. Well, the spring is kind of winding down a little bit, and that feels really weird because it just seems like it's kind of flown. So volleyball's over, men's soccer's into the NCAA tournament, which we'll get on to later. Uh, women's soccer's over. The Both tennis teams are in their conference tournaments now, and, you know, it's really just baseball and softball that are, that are still, you know, spring football's over. So baseball and, and softball are the ones that are really still the ones in the regular season. So kind of weird, but anyways, uh, we're, uh, we're in the part of the spring where it's time to talk NFL draft. So Christian and I will be talking uh, UCF players in this year's NFL draft, kind of giving a breakdown of each guy and some predictions for each of them. But first, Christian, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good. Like you said, it's just, it's just weird how like now, as is the case in every spring, soccer's winding down, volleyball's winding <laughs> down. It's just, we're suddenly back to what spring is normally like with just baseball. It just, so it's it just awful. feels weird because now, now that we had, have had all those seasons this spring, it's weird to now that those are over. It's kind of like, oh, it doesn't feel like this is what it normally is like. Well, hear me out. One way we could deal with this in the future is what if in spring, after the regular season was over, the top 12 or so college football teams did all right, a super All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, <laughs> I will not have any super league, any more super league content pushed out anywhere. I don't need it. I don't want it. Even though we just kind of talked about how we might do some content next week related to the Super League I literally idea, suggested a Super League idea for next week, but okay. Maybe we won't do that now. I just I don't want to hear any more about it for, right now. For those of you, for any listeners who do not know, um, in Europe this week, uh, the top like the 12 richest European soccer teams were like, hey, we're just going to go do our own thing now and be our own league. Don't you all love this? And fans protested so bad that it lasted like 48 hours. So that's uh, they basically, Bailey, Bailey was very upset. Basically threatened to destroy the sport as we know it over yes. in Europe. So that's cool. Um, it's not it's really not, but I'm glad it's dead. Anyways, Christian, we're talking NFL draft. We're talking UCF in the NFL draft, and we're really just going to go player by player and talk a little bit about their time at UCF. And I have some some questions that we'll discuss for for some of them, and then for some of them, we'll just get right on to predicting where they'll get drafted uh, in terms of round and not necessarily team, but we'll we'll look at the round and kind of the range we're expecting them to get drafted and. Without further ado, we'll just start right away. We're going alphabetically, and we'll talk Otis Anderson. So in his four years at UCF, he had 6.1 yards per carry, which ranks second all-time uh, in program history. He's ninth on UCF's all-time rushing list with 2,182 yards, eighth on UCF's all-time all-purpose yards list with 3,708 uh, all-purpose yards, and he has the eighth most total touchdowns in UCF history with 27. So, you know, definitely a storied career. And he played, you know, a, a big role in all four parts, uh, all four seasons uh, of his UCF career. And kind of what I was just thinking about as I was reflecting on Otis Anderson's time at UCF was what was his signature moment? And I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on if, if one pops to mind when you think Otis Anderson. You know, it's funny because like he had a lot, like he might have the most signature moments outside of like Milton of the last few years. I feel like people are going to pick the the peace sign touchdown against uh, Memphis. I feel like that's probably the obvious that's, answer, but I really, to that's me, it the was one in my mind. To me, it was the game the year before that against USF, the screen against the blitz, the perfect play. <laughs> Otis Anderson may have sealed the deal. I, that, that to me was so, like, yeah. because he was also yeah, a true those, freshman for that play, which is kind of wild. He had a, he played a huge role as a true freshman, which is, I mean, just because he fits so perfectly in Scott Frost's offense and they just used him so well. It's funny because, 
it wasn't until Frost left and Hypo came in that they just started referring to him as like this utility guy, and that was his actual position that was listed. But I think he he was the like, best as a utility guy the year he wasn't even really branded as that. Basically, Hypo came in at 18 and was like, great news, Otis. You're now the utility guy. And Otis was <laughs> like, wow, that's awesome. What does that mean exactly? And Hypo's like, basically what it means is that I don't know how to use you, so I'm just not going to. <laughs> Which, yeah. which in in defense, like there were some things that year I didn't like. Like there was after the pit game, I think it was, where UCF won 45 to 14. Otis like went on Twitter and was like, I didn't get enough touches. And it's like, okay, I agree. But like the team won by like 30 something points against yeah. the Power 5 team. But yeah, no, his, I, I, is it like, am I wrong in saying, I mean, you kind of pretty much just said it, but like his most prolific and best season was his first season. And not really, that's not really his fault. It felt that way. I, I think if you look at the numbers, there might have been – I was looking at it last night. There might have been an, another season that was better numbers-wise, but that just felt like when he was at his most productive and really when he was used, he was best used in, in his freshman season. Yeah, I mean, he had a key touchdown in the Peach Bowl too. I mean, he was all over the place. And some of it – yeah, some of it was on the coaching staff, but also like I mean, who would have thought like Greg McRae just came out of nowhere right. in 2018. And I, and I was, I was pretty consistent these last couple of years here where I just kind of felt, I felt like the ball was in a better place in Greg McRae's hands. So to me, it was just kind of like, well, then what's your reasoning here? But then again, that's where it goes in the utility thing where you could have used Otis in different roles. And it just felt like that didn't really happen that much. Yeah. It really didn't seem like he, that Heifel knew too well, like how exactly he wanted to use him. Did he score the game winning touchdown in the AAC championship game in 2017? The one where he just kind of—I I can't remember if it was him or Killens. They got like no, it was Killens. The goal line. It was Killens. No, 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 no. Well, the Ace Championship in seventeen. Are you talking eighteen or seventeen? Seventeen. Seventeen yeah. was one on the Trey Neal pick. No, I no, but the last... they, they had scored before that. I I, I feel like that was like a pitch play to Killens. Am I making that up? Was it? Maybe it was the first touchdown in overtime that year. Thanks. I remember. I feel like I remember Otis getting in and like kind of getting crunched at the goal line. All right, well, you keep talking. I'm going to look it up now. Yeah, I'm very curious. I don't know. But I, I would think, yeah, we, we kind of mentioned the other two moments where, you know, one was the peace sign touchdown against Memphis, which came after uh, a punt, a fumble on a punt earlier in the in the game, which was good to see him get some redemption there. And then the, the USF screen. I was going to say the USF screen. That was the first thing that came to mind when I was thinking about it last night. But just the fact that USF came right back and scored and tied the game after that, it kind of like, I mean, it didn't really put a damper on when you look at the play and you look at the kind of just the moment that it was. But in terms of iconic moments, it kind of gets overshadowed by um, Mike Hughes in that game. And then the, the, the peace sign, I think, is I, I see it all over Twitter all the time on it was my Twitter header for a while. I think it was. Well, it's it, just I, I don't know who took it, but there was just that really iconic photo. That oh, went it's with amazing. It. Also, I don't remember this at all, but you're totally right. It was it was literally Otis Anderson at the goal line was the game. OK. Leader. God, he was so – he was all over that season. Yeah, he was. And I think that's something that, like, now that we're talking about it more, is just I forget about is how, like, how much and how well he was used that year as compared to other years. I don't think it really compares that that much at all. Like, for, for him to have this utility um, label in the last three years, you know, he got – he was really more of a utility guy in his freshman year. This was such a good uniform combo. I just have the YouTube video up now in the background yeah. as we're talking. <laughs> Pewter jerseys, the black helmets. It was the black ice helmets with those chrome decals. Oh, yeah, man. They wore well, some good stuff in 2017. <laughs> but anyway, back to actually like players and stuff. Yeah, yeah. on that on that actual note, um, I think we can move into where what we think about his his draft prospects is does like my first question is, does he get drafted? And if so, which round? I, I think it's I don't know. It's, it's always kind of a crapshoot uh, towards the end of 
the draft on day three, like sixth and seventh round. It's a lot of, a lot of times athletes like him who can play running back, who can play wide receiver, who are return guys, they can, they can kind of sneak their way into being draft picks. So, but do you think he's uh he's going to be a draft pick this year? No, no, I don't think he has a chance. I, I don't think that's necessarily fair, but I don't think he has a chance. I don't think there's been any hype or buzz around him at all, which like you said, it, it's unfortunate because, and it, he doesn't necessarily have the body where that was ever going to be like a really, like a high pick was going to be on the table for him. But you right. do kind of wonder if like, say that there's some alternate reality, which this changes everything. Obviously but like Frost doesn't leave. Just, like I almost, I feel like it sucks. He didn't come back. Cause I feel like Malzahn would have come up with some really, really cool stuff to do with him. Yeah. But um, I just, maybe if he'd had three or four straight seasons, like 2017, maybe things would have been different. He could have been a fourth or fifth round pick, something like that. But I just there's no hype around him. I just I think he'll get I think he'll get on as an undrafted free agent. Oh, absolutely. I don't I don't think like his career's over or anything. And I mean he can make an yeah. impact on special teams. We've seen that at UCF, so we'll see. But no, I I do you see him getting drafted? I, I don't. I'm like if I'm gonna have to give it a concrete answer, it's no. And I do think I think all of these guys that we're gonna talk about, if if they're not drafted, they'll end up as as undrafted free agents. They'll get shot somewhere. But for him, like the only thing I I can just want to go back to that is the fact that he's so versatile and then that just sometimes teams on in the sixth and seventh round are just kind of like, you know, who are some guys that we could see, you know, filling out the roster and, and, you know, who could we use as just like a kind of a multi, multi, uh, versatile guy, multi, multi-tool guy. And, and I don't know the draft class all that well. I don't know how many are, are of those guys there are. I'm sure there are probably a lot of them. And yeah, I don't know that he kind of sticks out from, you know, anyone else if, if you're, I don't know. I, I think he could, but I don't think he will. Yeah, it's there. It's just like I said, it's unfortunate because he's a really good player. And I don't know what, like I said, I think he could get on with it. I mean, I know he'll get on with the team as an undrafted free agent, but I think he could stick possibly yeah. if things break his way. But no, I just don't. We've been talking about it. And we're going to get into as we talk here, but this is like for a team that just went six and four. And I know we talked about it last week when Jason Beattie was on. Like, this is going to be like a shockingly prolific draft class for UCF, or at the very least, it's shaping up to be. But unfortunately, Otis Anderson, who was one of the key players for UCF for years now, I just don't really think he's going to be part of that. Yeah. And, and the final note I have on Otis is, so I was looking at some mock drafts uh, last night and I looked at three seven round mocks and one six round mock and he wasn't a pick in any of them. So I don't know if that's yeah. kind of a way to gauge that, but I don't think it's too surprising, uh, unfortunately. Like but I said, we'll it's ahead. not even like yeah. a, like he's just not on anyone's radar. Like, I just don't think he's like well, t- well who's next but on our list because <laughs> maybe this yeah is gonna... all right yeah, we'll, just go we'll jump in. we'll jump into the next <laughs> one it's it's actually it's tay gowan who he played at ucf in 2019 uh he started nine games and played in 12 of them uh finished with 31 tackles two interceptions eight pass breakups and a fumble recovery um and he opted out of the 2020 season uh understandably i think he had a, a prematurely born daughter i think it was um and he's a guy that I think had a good pro day and is getting kind of some, he's getting some buzz from some people. I think pro football focus has him as like the fifth best cornerback in the draft, I think. And it's just crazy to me, the range that I've seen um, of, of people evaluating him. Cause I've seen, you know, like pro football focus having him as the fifth best corner, which would probably make him a second or third round pick. And I've seen other mock drafts where he's not even picked. So I'm really curious to, to hear from you. Like, what do you think? I mean, I don't, think it's really a question whether he gets drafted it's not to me anyway like which round would you say he's he's drafted in yeah this is an interesting one because I know there's probably a lot of guys like this across the nation just because the nature of this year but it's so weird a guy that like I kind of forgot about takeout as the season went along just because he wasn't actively part of the team and now he's gonna potentially be one of UCF's top draft picks it's sort of a weird situation 
But um, I mean, I could see him going like fourth or fifth. I think he's going to get drafted. I mean, I, I, it seems like a lot of a lot of people like him and it's kind of this hype thing where the hype just sort of builds on itself. But I, I would be surprised. I would be pretty surprised if he doesn't get drafted, but I don't think he's going to be like higher. I don't think he'll be. I know that there are some that have shown in like the second round and stuff. I don't see that happening. Yeah, I personally, I would see more a third, third or fourth round. I've seen some, like I said, I've seen some mock drafts that don't have him getting drafted at all, which is kind of wild to me. I don't see that being a thing. Um, one, one in particular, actually, it was a three round mock I saw from Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay had him going in the third round, 96th overall to the Patriots. So, I mean, that's, Ooh. I think that's the highest I've seen him go. Um, and I see another one, CBS, he was a fifth rounder, uh, pick 154 to the Jets. And then there's, again, there's some other ones where he hasn't. Oh, there's another one that actually Chad Reuter from NFL.com had him going to the Jets in the fourth round, pick number 107. So it's just weird, the range that I've seen from the third round to just not getting drafted. But I think third or fourth round is probably the sweet spot for him. Um, I don't think he lasts very long if he makes it to day three. So, you know, maybe we see him, maybe we see him in the fourth round. And I don't know. I, I think he's a, he's a really good player. And, you know, you don't want to second guess a guy who, who opted out of the of the 2020 season because that's obviously understandable but i would just be curious to see what it would have been like had he come back to ucf for another year and what you know what kind of season he would have put together and, and potentially been a second rounder or higher next year yeah he was really good last year he was really really good he stepped in for bam moore when bam moore got hurt and it was right. like oh no we lost more this is a disaster and i was like oh no things are fine <laughs> this is totally fine so, but yeah. I think you, you talked about with the mock drafts and I assume teams understand it's an unusual year. I think the mock drafts that he's not in, it's, it's, that's just writers and pundits who are just kind of like, oh, he didn't play last year. No. Yeah. Like, I think people are letting their personal feelings about what players did and didn't do last year influence that <laughs> that's, stuff a little bit. That's definitely the unfair part of it. Because, and I think p- part of it might be that, and part of it honestly might be too. And this is, I don't know, this is probably maybe even worse. It's just some guys might have been forgetting about him. They might have just because he didn't play last totally. year. Kind of just they like, went and you're looking at stats from last season, yeah. team stats, player stats, and he's not in them because he didn't play and he just forget he existed. But NFL teams who are, you know, multi-million dollar enterprises aren't really <laughs> dumb enough to like forget right. players. So exactly, yeah, exactly. And yeah, and I, I think that's a thing as like UCF fans in general. I don't know. I think a lot of people on Twitter, you know, I think he he has a lot of interaction with UCF fans, so they don't they didn't necessarily forget about him, but I think people forget just how good he was in 2019 before opting out in 2020. He was, yeah, he was really good when he stepped in for Brandon Moore and they, you know, UCF didn't really miss a beat, um, you know, having him, having him step in for more after the injury. But yeah, like I said, I think, I think third or fourth round would probably be the sweet spot for me, but should be interesting to see. Cause he's one of those guys that I think, especially with the way pro fo- football focus evaluates uh, has evaluated him, you know, he could be, he could be even higher. I don't know. Um, that's gonna be the fun part, I think, about the draft because I, I just love the draft in general. I don't know if people can tell just by the way I'm talking about it, but it's so much it's so much fun for me, and I, I cover it a lot for uh, for BucksNation.com, and you know to have have it see it through that lens, but also see it through you know who are some of my favorites from UCF getting drafted, and then you know other players I've watched in college. It's just it's just a good time, and I really enjoy it. So really happy that it's only a week away. We'll uh, we'll go ahead and move on to. Uh, maybe like the hottest name I think uh, in UCS draft class this year, and it's Richard Aaron Grant. Robinson. I mean, oh. we'll get on to, we'll get on to Aaron Robinson, and we might talk about him a little bit here in this section actually. With Richie Grant is who we're we're mainly focusing on here. Uh, he redshirted in 2016 before playing a key role in the defense uh, over the next four seasons. He finished his career with uh, 290 total tackles, 189 solo tackles, 11 and a half tackles for loss, 10 interceptions, six of which came in 2018, 17 passes defended four fumble recoveries, 
five forced fumbles. And then uh, that includes the f- forced fumble at the end uh, that sealed the 2017 classic against South Florida uh, that won UCF the game there at the end. And Christian, my question to you is before we get onto the whole Aaron Robinson versus Richie Grant thing and all the hype around uh, both guys, is Richie Grant the guy from this group who you think is most likely to have the best NFL career? I mean, he's definitely the most NFL ready. Is that fair to say? I mean, I think so. I, absolutely. I, I mean, you never know. Cause like, the thing with drafts and it's, I, I, you, you were just talking about how much you love the NFL draft and I, I like it too. Cause it's really the only part of the NFL I care about. Cause it's only the part that like <laughs> affects UCF in any way. But um, yeah, I mean, drafts in general in sports, it's the same with recruiting at the college level. It's like, you just don't know. So that would be my gut instinct right now is he's the most NFL ready. He's been NFL ready since 2017. I mean, yeah. he's, he's a really, really good player. And I'm, it's great that he stuck at UCF as long as he did. And I, I, I'm excited to see what he do in the NFL. I think he's going to have the biggest impact right away, but you just never know. I mean, you just never, you never do. But I mean, I'm really excited. He's the one where I'm just excited to watch the draft for him because he yeah. could very easily be UCF's first, first round pick since 2018 when Mike Hughes was selected there. And, you know, it's kind of funny that UCF keeps like getting these defensive guys drafted high when that's just not the team's identity at all. But <laughs> I know he, he's the person that I'm really excited to see where he goes. Cause he can, I think he can make a big ha- impact right away. And I think he could easily be a first round pick. Yeah. I, I think he definitely could. And I think some, some places have him ranked as the second best safety in the draft, which, you know, it, it teams are always needing safeties. And if that's the case, if teams view him that way, I think, you know, he really could be a first rounder, but the, the mock drafts I've seen uh, Kuiper and McShay, their mock draft had him going 45th overall to the Jags uh, in the second round. Uh, Walter football had him going in the third round, which I kind of, I see him more That's as, not as a second happen. round guy. I kind of jumped ahead here. I, do you, what do you see him as a second round guy? You're pretty firm on that. I would be really surprised if he fell past the second round yeah. NFL scouts and NFL teams love guys who are NFL ready like yeah. that. And you really stop talking about like massive upside to the point that you're, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Cause you cover the NFL draft way more than I do. Like someone with massive upside where you're going to be like, no, we need to take the upside guy or the project guy over the guys NFL ready. That's more of like a first round thing. Like, I don't know how you have someone like Richie Grant gets to the third round. I just don't know yeah. how that happens. So I, I would be very surprised. I don't think so. Cause that's the thing is that a lot of teams view the draft so differently. Cause there's teams that are, you know, their rosters are pretty filled out and pretty already ready to compete now. And so some of them might take on some projects early on in the draft and say, okay, well, we don't need him to produce right now, but you know, in a couple of years he can step in and, you know, we have some time to develop them. But yeah, I think with, you know, there are teams out there that will need an NFL ready safety and Richie Grant is that. Um, so, you know, getting back a little bit to, to those mock drafts, cause I agree. I think he's a second round guy, you know, surefire second rounder. Um, CBS sports had him in the second round 48th overall to the Raiders. Um, Sporting news is another one that had him in the third round to the chargers, which I, again, I just don't see uh, as the case. And then the earliest I've seen him picked um was by uh, from Dane Brugler of the Athletic and his seven round mock. He had him going 39th overall, so in the second round, 39th overall to the Panthers, and that kind of to me, you know, that's like right on the edge of the first round. That would probably be where I'd expect to see him go. Is if he doesn't get drafted in the first round, I'd say early early second round is probably you know a, an ideal or not an ideal, but an expected spot for him. The other thing I think that plays a role here is medium and I'm not, I'm not trying to trash him when I made those lists but like media members in general uh, especially some of these bigger sites like are a lot quicker than the actual NFL teams to like discount people for the conference they played in or the team they played in like NFL teams that's a factor but they they don't like they just want the guys who are going to be good players I mean you, you see that in the NFL you see all these guys from group of five who pop off so I feel like that can be part of when you see him drag down a little bit like third round stuff I think it's just like 
uh, writers who don't have the information that NFL teams have or don't have the knowledge are just going in and like, oh, well, he was on a six and four group of five team. So we'll just yeah. put him in the third. Like, I just don't see how he's a third round pick. Maybe I'm going to look stupid a week from now. I just, I just don't under, I, I can't I see the value where that happened. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult too, I think, for some of these people to put the mocks together because they don't really, obviously, no one has the time and, and, you know, the resources to sit and watch film from every single guy and I know every school. So, yeah, a lot of it might just be they don't really, they haven't watched him that closely. They don't, you know, see, you know, what he's done over his career. But yeah, I, I would be very surprised if he doesn't, um, if he makes it past, you know, like the middle of the second round, honestly. I think I think he's probably um, I think he's probably the first UCF player taken, and that's well. I guess we didn't really hit on Aaron Robinson too much, but we'll get on to Aaron Robinson not. and his hype in a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think he deserves to be the first taken, and I think he should be. But you know, there's there's an off chance that he's not, and we'll talk about that once we get to to Mr. Aaron Robinson. But we'll uh, we'll move on to the next one. It's it's Jacob Harris, who is you know I think aside from maybe Richie Grant and Aaron Robinson. He's getting a, like the most hype right now because of, uh, you know, his size, I think is he's had always had the NFL size and uh, the body for it. And, you know, he emerged a bit in, uh, in 2019 before his best season in 2020, he had 49 catches in his career for 987 yards, nine touchdowns, which eight of them came uh, in 2020. And he averaged 20.1 yards per carry over his career, but his, his size his you know, his emergence in 2020. And then I think his pro day is really where everyone started to take notice and, he had an impressive pro day, and now that's that's led to where um, everyone is is projecting him to be, you know, maybe a day two draft pick, which is kind of crazy to me, um, you know, considering the the other wide receivers we'll get on to uh, later on in, in this podcast. But for for you, Jacob Harris is is he uh, is he the first receiver taken, and which round do you see him taken? I'm so confused, man. Me too. <laughs> I'm so confused. I, I don't, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to like, I mean, he was good here at, yeah. at, time, at times. Um, I mean, you are the draft guy. So you tell me, does this ever happen where a player that was up and down in college and not really anyone's radar has a really good pro day and then goes on to have a really good NFL career? Yeah. I mean, it goes on to have a really good NFL career. That's the caveat. Um, I can't off the top of my head think of like a glaring example, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure there've been guys who, have during the pre-draft process there's a lot of guys who are you know they look at him and they call him risers and he's been one of them where he's caught the attention of you know not only you know the analysts and then mock draft guys but it looks like it sounds like he's got the attention of a lot of teams so you know I think it's not uncommon obviously for a player to to take off like this during the pre-draft process I just don't know you know if, what that's going to mean for you know his long-term career it, it's to me there's <laughs> we'll get on to Marlon Williams later, but Marlon Williams had, you know, an amazing career at UCF. He's on, you know, UCF's like all time records um, all over him. And Jacob Harris was kind of a guy who I think was probably no, no higher than the third receiver for, you know, I think the last two years. Right. I'd, I mean, say, even, I'd say fourth, I would have put O'Keefe ahead of him this past year. Really? I see. Yeah, it's Jacob Harris. Sure. He, there were, he just, he just had these really, really just, horribly frustrating drops pretty yeah. consistently i mean and that really held him back i mean we saw that a lot from him. but then and then other times he looked spectacular i was he had a couple games this year where he just randomly he was like three, he had three touchdown catches against south florida didn't he against yeah against USF. I, it's just so i don't so maybe that's what teams are seeing they're like if we could just this guy has the body he's had flashes if we can just get him more consistent yeah it's an interesting one to me because we'd already been talking about how this is going to be before the before pro day 
how this was going to be a pretty deep draft class for UCF. UCF's never had more than four guys drafted in the same year, which for, by group of five standards isn't bad. It's not anywhere near power five standards, but he's one of these guys, which is now like, for some reason he's got this buzz. And now I am kind of like, is this going to be an all-time draft class for UCF coming off a six and four season? Because they're just, <laughs> NFL teams are just identifying these guys who I would not have considered NFL guys, but they're going to, they're going to make it. I mean, I mean, Jacob Harris is going to get drafted. I feel like at this point, there's been so much hype around him. How many different websites, the athletic, whoever has been like, he's the sleeper. He's the guy. Yeah. I don't think he's going to be a high pick or anything. He'll probably be like fifth or sixth round, but I think he's going to get drafted. It would be, it would be surprising to me at this point if he didn't get drafted. Whereas like, I don't know, three months ago, I'd been like, yeah, he's not, he's not getting drafted. He'll be an undrafted free agent, but he's not getting drafted. Like but three yeah. weeks ago, I would have been surprised. <laughs> yeah. Just before the pro day, really. And and then to me, so I look at some of these mock drafts and, you know, some of them, he is in the draft pick, which I, like I said, you know, would be surprising to me, but CBS sports in their seven round mock uh, has him as a fifth round pick to the Packers, 178th overall. Um, and then, the athletic also has him going in the fifth round to the Packers 173rd overall. Um, so not every, no, he's not showing up in every mock draft, but when he is, it's, it's typically in the fifth round. Um, I don't know. I, I could see him. I think probably the fifth round, I could see him sneaking into the fourth, but to me, I think he's probably an early, earlier day three kind of guy. Yeah. I, I just, I'm just, it, it's a, I, like you said, I'm just excited that this could be such a deep draft class for UCF. I'm excited these guys are getting drafted and getting NFL opportunities. It's yeah. just going to really not sit well with me when Jacob Harris gets an NFL opportunity and Marlon somehow doesn't. Because Marlon Williams is a freaking amazing wide receiver. He was fantastic for UCF and has been his whole career. The things he can do after he catches the ball, we just never had something like that at UCF. Yeah. And it, it's just, it, I don't really get, I just, I just, I, I guess I just don't get how these hype, things sort of build because like i don't understand why teams aren't interested in marlon williams but they are in jacob harris i don't understand how you can watch think, ucf or even just look in the past looking at stats watch the games and say we're gonna ignore wide receiver one over here and go three or four guys down the charts to find our guy because he's a little bigger yeah no for me i think it's purely a size thing and and projectability in the nfl and i think I mean, we talk about it so much right now do you want to just move on and and skip ahead to marlon williams let's go yeah because we're kind of transitioning okay into and then I think after that, maybe we can just stick in the receiver and then talk Trey Nixon. Then we'll Sounds wrap good. up. Um, but yeah, Marlon Williams appeared in all 13 games as a freshman in 2017. He played 12 in 2018. And then he broke out in 2019. Um, before he put together, you know, a, Bl- a Bletnikoff caliber season in 2020. He was a semifinalist for the award, actually. He had 71 catches for 1,039 yards and 10 touchdowns, 14.6 yards per catch in eight games. And he was first team all AAC. Um, and yeah, I mean, we talked about it a little bit and, you know, my question I had down here just for us to talk about is why does it seem like he's been forgotten about? Is it, is it really just a size thing? Cause I think it's partly that to me. And it also is just, I think every year, it just seems like every year the NFL wide receiver draft classes are like getting better and better. And just, they're so deep every year that maybe for, you know, a guy who doesn't have the size necessarily, or doesn't have maybe the the elite pro size that people are looking for. Maybe that's why he's gotten lost. I, I don't know what it is. Well, we kind of saw this with, I don't know how many freaking years UCF's going to have to send wide receivers in the NFL and have them become starters <laughs> before teams just start noticing, hey, maybe UCF's got some good receivers. Because yeah. we went through this with Gabe last year, Gabe Davis. I mean, it wasn't to this level because I genuinely don't know if Marlon's going to get drafted. We pretty much knew Gabe Davis was, but yeah. no, no one cared about Gabe Davis nationally. No one even knew who he was. And then we're all like, come on guys. Like, you know, he's good. And then sure enough, Gabe Davis gets drafted. And what would you look at that? He's starting in the NFL and he's very good. And he's one yeah. of the hottest rookies. So 
I don't know how many years it's going to take before people just realize that UCF just churns up. Because the other thing with this draft class is there is a there is a reality. It's a slim one, but there is a fairly possible reality where Jacob Harris, Marlon Williams, and Trey Nixon all get drafted. Jacob Harris is, I'd say, very likely to get drafted. Marlon has a chance. I think Trey Nixon has a chance, honestly, which we'll talk about him. I do too. But. I think of the recruiting pitch at that point. If UCF puts three receivers in the draft this year, and then also is like, oh, and you know, like Gabe Davis and Trey Con Smith, there are guys too. Like, I just yeah. like feel like that would be such a mass recruiting match. But I did want to say for Marlon, just to again show how ridiculous his stats are nuts for a full like 13 game season. He played yeah. eight games, eight games, eight That's... games. I mean, look, you look at his, so he had how many yards did he have this year? 1,039? Yes. So extrapolate that over 13 games like that he'd played a bowl and that's 1700 yards. Yep. I mean, come on with over, Ten, probably over a hundred catches. He had 71 in eight games. Yeah. 10 touchdowns. You extrapolate that out. That's 16 touchdowns. I, mean, I just, yeah. I, I don't understand why this guy's just not on anyone's radar. He's so good. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like we've talked about this a little bit already, but with the mock drafts, it's such a wide spectrum and it's just such a random, like, it's just like random guesswork at times because the ones I've looked at, he was only he's only selected in one of the mock drafts I looked at, and in that one, it was in the fourth round. So how I, like explain that to me? I have one no of them idea. has him, the Sporting News has him 106th overall, almost a top 100 pick, so 106th overall to the Jaguars in the fourth round, and then a bunch of other ones that are full seven round mocks don't even have him in in the seventh round, not even as like a flyer. It's like UCF is going to get like two guys drafted or have a ridiculous draft class of like six guys and no in between. Like that just feels like (laughs) what we're moving towards at this point. I don't know why there's so much volatility. I don't know if that's a thing from like just the COVID season, if that's a, uh, you know, like a just part of that. Cause I mean, we like every, like last year, UCF had, it wasn't just Gabe Davis who was trying to get drafted, but we all like pretty much knew going to draft. It was just going to be Gabe Davis. I mean, no one really expected Killens to get drafted or anything. Yeah. Um, this year, there's so many guys where it's like it's on the table. Yeah, no, it is. And it, it's it's just weird because Marlon, I, I'm curious. I don't remember. I think they came out because there was no NFL scouting combine this year. I don't remember if – I think they came out with a list of guys who were going to be – who would have been invited if there was a combine. And I can't remember if he was on it. But I kind of just wonder if if he was on that and if he would have gotten a combine, if that would have helped him get a little bit more buzz than he's gotten. Because as it was – you know, he couldn't obviously he, – was he, was he a senior this year? 17. Was he a junior? Uh, his first year here was 17. 17. So, yeah, he would have been a senior. Oh, okay, he was a senior. So, he could have come back, but never mind. So that, well, any, well, that well, negates any, my anybody point. Could've, anybody yeah. could have come back. Well, that negates my point. That's what I was going to say because I was going to say he wouldn't he couldn't get a senior bowl invite. He could have because he was a senior. But, yeah, I just don't know that, like, he's gotten – because some of these other guys, I guess maybe he just didn't – he couldn't outshine Jacob Harris at the pro day. So, it was just Jacob Harris getting all the buzz. Um, but at what point are you going to say as an NFL team, like, well, let's see, we can take this half hour where this player did really well, <laughs> or we could take four years. Like, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't understand pro days. They, I, you know, I mean, I understand lies, their purpose. I don't understand why they generate as much buzz as they do. Therein lies, I think the debate and the issues with, with the kind of the draft process and, you know, guys will, will put so much stock in a combine or a pro day rather than, you know, people, a lot of people are just look at the tape. And when you look at the tape, what Marlon Williams did, you know, was spectacular. And, you know, I, I don't know why you wouldn't want that on your team. And again, I know it's, he's a little, he's not that small, but I don't think he has like the prototypical receiver size for the NFL. 
I think if I looked at Rupp yesterday, I think he was like he's six foot two fifteen or something like that. So not like the biggest receiver, but just yeah, productive. you got you got him exactly right. Six foot two fifteen. Okay, Which, yeah. but that's also not like tiny. Like that's no. not. I, I just I don't. And you know, I, I think at that, at that at that at that height and weight, you probably maybe you put him in the slot. I don't know. You could find ways yeah. to use a guy that productive and that that talented. So I mean, I don't know. I think I think he could be a draft pick. It's weird to me that like he is. We're not sure. But one way or the other, he's going to get a shot. And I think, you know, he's one of those guys that I think could stick around on on a team that people aren't really talking about a lot about. Um, yeah, for sure. Seems, he's that kind of guy. But we'll, uh, we'll wrap up with the receivers here and talk Trey Nixon, who I think at one time in the pre-draft process was probably getting the most buzz of any UCF receiver. Um, I think his name was on the, you know, the, the uh, what's it called? the projected combine list that, that if there was a combine, I think he would have been invited, which kind of surprised me at the time, but uh, Nixon transferred to UCF from Ole Miss in 2018 uh, in his career. He caught 108 passes for 1,652 yards and 13 touchdowns, 15.3 uh, yards per catch. He spent much of the 2020 season out injured. Um, but, you know, I think he, he came back there at the end and yeah, like I said, during the pre-draft process, it seemed like he was getting, getting some buzz and I, I know I have some friends, who are like think I'm crazy that I think he's getting drafted, but I, I do. I think he's a sixth or seventh round guy that, you know, people are going to see his size, his speed, see him as a deep threat, and they're going to want to, you know, give him a shot. Do you kind of do you see him getting drafted? Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think I I I wouldn't be I like I wouldn't be surprised or anything if he ends up not drafted because he's definitely like kind of on the borderline. But he just seems yeah. like one of those guys that, and from the hype we've seen, like they might just take a flyer on him late, whether that's seventh or sixth round. I mean. So I think I think it's interesting. Just I, I I can't believe I'm gonna circle back to Marlon for a second. But you're listing out his stats. So he has three more career touchdowns than Marlon had in eight games this year. Yep. Marlon was so good this year. Yeah. But either way, um, yeah, I think I, I I wouldn't be surprised if Trey Nixon got drafted. I like, and I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't. He's definitely on that borderline to me. I I mean, I think as dumb as this is, and I and we're gonna talk about this Aaron Robinson too. I think part of the whole that oh well he was in the SEC is kind of yeah. helping him. Um, but yeah, I, I, th- I think he'll get drafted to be honest. Yeah. It'll be late, but I think he'll get and drafted. And like, that's the thing is when you get to the sixth or seventh round, like teams take flyers. And I think a lot of that is just on projectability and, you know, he has the body, he has the speed, you know, he could, he could just be a gym, you know, that's, that's what it is. It's taking a shot. And the only thing I think that's working against him, I think is maybe the, the injury in 2020, but also the fact that, like I said, there's a, a billion good receivers in every draft. So it's possible he gets lost in the shuffle and has to sign on as an undrafted guy, but yeah, I mean, we, we really could. We could be looking at three UCF receivers drafted, you know, in this class. It's or insane. at the same time, we could just see one. You know, it's it's weird how it's then kind of that borderline thing. But, um, you know, we'll go we'll go on to our last offensive guy. We only have two left. But we're at the last offensive guy is Greg McRae, um, you know, very near and dear to our hearts. Uh, former walk-on. He broke out down the stretch in 2018. And, you know, he's all over the career record, record books for UCF. He's a career record holder in yards per carry with 6.45. He's fourth on the all-time rushing touchdown list with 29, fourth on the all-time uh, rushing yards list with 2,620. He was the he's seventh in 100-yard rushing games with seven. And in 2018, he became the first 1,000-yard rusher at UCF since Storm Johnson did it in 2013. And he's currently the last one to run for 1,000 yards. Um, so Greg McRae, a guy that we both love very much and I just it's it's hard to see him getting drafted. Do you think he gets drafted? And if he does, which round? So my plan, I, so I've said, I've said it before. And Greg McRae is like, is just, well, I'll get there. Greg McRae is <laughs> my, my favorite UCF player ever. I, I just, it's such a rare mix of someone who's just such 
an amazing like human off the field and also such an amazing player on the field. I just so fun to watch. He was electric, man. And he was just such a good dude. I know he led a lot of their like a lot of the BLM stuff over the summer and all that. He was very vocal on Twitter about that stuff. And I, I, he, he's just such a great guy. So he's not going to get drafted. So my plan is I'm going to start buying lottery tickets. (laughs) And if I win before the draft, I'm going to spend all the money on buying an NFL team and drafting Greg McCray. I, I will will use the first round pick on him. I don't care. (laughs) I, I, yeah, he's not going to get drafted and that sucks, but I I really wish he did because he deserves a shot in the pros. And I, I assume he'll, he'll get on as an undrafted free agent. I Probably. Think. But I think yeah. running backs are always kind of, I think a, a hot undrafted free agent position. But he was one of the best players. I mean, he was one of at moments, if not the best player on UCF's team for a few years now. And I, he, of the guys looking to get drafted this year, he by far has the least hype. I haven't heard a word about him. Nope. Yeah. I mean, I think sucks. it would be to me, it'd be him and Otis. I really haven't heard much about Otis either, but I've I think seen, I saw Otis like gotten, a, a little, little bit, tiny bit about Otis just because I think of the versatility thing. And then, you know, he's, he's a great, you know, pass catching running back and also can work in the slot. Yeah. I think it's just a versatility thing, but yeah, I, Greg McCray hasn't gotten any buzz. I haven't really seen his name on any mock drafts anywhere. Yeah. I, I unfortunately don't think he's, he's going to get drafted. I really hope he does somewhere. It would be probably the highlight of my draft weekend. Um, but, Absolutely. You know, we'll, we'll see, but it, and the kind of one thing, you know, I, I always hesitate to kind of just, question this and you know he made his decision to go to the nfl obviously but we both wanted him to come back for another year is he the biggest example of someone who could have benefited from coming back for another year so he um if you have not listened to it listen i'm talking to you personally listening to this podcast uh <laughs> if you haven't listened to it sons of ucf had him on for an interview on their podcast not too long ago and it was a really really interesting interview but uh he laid it out and you can go listen to what he said but he pretty much was just along the lines of like before 2020 he was planning this to be his last year and the world changed but it was just kind of like that was his plan and he stuck with it um and the other thing to keep in mind is UCF published an article like an in-house article on him and in it he said that he really wants to be a coach um so if he doesn't get drafted i think go be a coach man i, I gus come be, a grad assi- come be a grad assistant here please coach Malzon, if you're listening to this podcast i'm sure you are because i know you're i know fan. he is oh he's definitely um, to it. please give greg mccray a ga spot because you just cannot <laughs> find a better human in the world so put him on put him on but uh yeah i i it's kind of funny because i was really really sad when he declared we both were um yeah but and now we're kind of in the situation ucf we're now suddenly like we're really deep at running backs so don't really know how that happened but I still think he would have been the number one guy if he came back last next year. I do too. Yeah. And Even I think with that, all the transfers and everybody that's come in and with what Malzahn wants to do, I think he could have had another thousand yard rushing season. No problem. Yeah. So yeah, I think he had a lot to gain from coming back, but Obviously at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you just, yeah, you, it, this was a really weird year. And I think for a lot of guys across the nation, it was a really miserable year. Yeah. Um, and I can see just wanting to move on to the next stage of your life. I, it's kind of like, I know that it's different because it's athletics, but it is sort of like, like, when you go, when you are in college and you're like, you're three and a half years in, you're starting your last semester. And then right before your last semester starts, the school's like, oh, you can like, you can stay for another year if you want. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that might, some people might go for it. Some people might not. So I think it's just sort of a situation of that. Yeah. And the last thing on that is, I think, like you said, it, it's just been a really hard year and there might have, there might even be a kind of a thing with it where it's like, you know, he doesn't want to stick around and have to like you know, deal with all the, the protocols and just kind of like, it's, it's not, it probably wasn't a fun year. I mean, I know it wasn't cause they had lost four, four games last year, but it probably wasn't fun, you know, having to deal with all that, you know, play in front of not that many fans. And, you know, maybe he's hoping if he can get on with an NFL team, like things are a little bit, I mean, less strict, I would guess, I think at the NFL level, 
and it just probably allows him to to have a little bit more freedom and not have to be kind of bogged down with with all of this stuff yeah you know, he had to go through this past year and maybe just yeah like he just wants to get on with his life which yeah you know it's completely understandable obviously um, and and i do just, just want to say I, I wanted to see him back yeah we all i mean <laughs> literally i loved him I, I'm, I'm so sad he doesn't play for UCF anymore <laughs> but like what you said and the other about you know all the protocols and everything things are going to be a lot more normal this year in college football it's clearly training that way now i think yeah. we're gonna have full capacity stadiums i think covid will not necessarily be a thing of the past but not be the day-to-day interruption that it was this past year but i do want to point out at the same time even when guys were making the decision to declare back in early january that wasn't clear yet we really yeah. didn't know so with the information we have now maybe different players make different decisions but because back in january we had no idea when this was going to end and now with the vaccine rollout and yeah, uh, stadium selling out tickets and stuff. We're already up to 50% capacity. Like I think we'll be in for a fairly normal fall, but you can't fault players for not knowing that three months ago. Yeah. Again, again like at that time, it was still a thing that was overhanging, like overhanging everything. It was just like hanging over everything and, and probably, yeah, probably did impact some decisions. And, you know, even still, like, as we're expecting things to be back to normal, there's still, it's going to be kind of hanging over the season a little bit. Yep. Not as much as last year, you know, thankfully. Um, but, you know, it's still going to be a, a thing that's probably in the, in the, back of not obviously the back of everybody's minds but it's still going to be out there things will be um, different it's not yeah. going to be a totally normal season i don't think we're going to have these week-to-week cancellations or players hop, falling in and out of lineups i don't think we're gonna have empty stadiums but it's it's just gonna be a little different season you have to treat things differently players must be more careful coaches have to be more careful unless because unless you're even if you're vaccinated like well we're just gonna i'm about to go on a covid tangent so let's just not <laughs> but i it's just gonna be a different year than than normal it's not it like it's just is. gonna be back to 2019 yeah yeah, and you know, so uh, we're running a little bit long, but we'll we'll get to our last guy here, and it's Aaron Robinson, who transferred to UCF from Alabama in 2017, and then proceeded to be oh former Alabama player. You know, he was he was every time mentioned for the rest of his UCF career was oh Alabama, Alabama transfer, Alabama transfer. At what point does that just stop being a thing? But anyway, he transferred in 2017, um, had to sit out for 2017, obviously, the part of the transfer rules back then, and then he suffered a scary injury on the opening kickoff of the 2018. Uh, season opener which i completely forgot about until you know going back to, to look at some of his stuff yeah um but he bounced back to play seven games that year then he played 13 games in 2019 starting 10 at nickelback um made second team all aac and then in 2020 started nine of the 10 games and again got second team all aac so and we talked about this we referenced it earlier he's been a guy who's had you know maybe one of the hottest names um, of any UCF player going into this draft. So what do you make of his astronomical rise during this process? Well, as a former Alabama player, I just think that that's something <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. It was like, and Aaron Robinson is very good here. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But it, I was, it, first off, it feels like it came out of freaking nowhere. I feel like one day I woke up and Aaron Robinson was just another guy who was trying to get drafted. And then by the end of the day, it was like, so which round do you think Aaron Robinson will go in first or second? And I just don't really, like, I genuinely don't know how it happened. I'm still confused by it. I think he's good. I think he'll be good in the NFL. He's not better than Richie. He's not going to be better than Richie in the NFL. I don't understand why suddenly he's the hot guy from this class. And I hate to say that. I feel like part of it is just he has that Alabama background. That really bothers me that that's how media people and pundits and and whoever else make these determinations because that's so offensive to the other 128 teams in college football outside of Clemson and Alabama and whoever else. But that I think that's what I think that's what sparked it, and I think maybe that's what made people take a closer look at him, and people realized he was good from there. But it's been a very, very strange rise. Yeah, and I think part of it too is not only the Alabama thing, but I think it's his size and the position because he's projected as a nickel back in the NFL, and and if t- a team's looking for, I don't think it's a lot of guys that are like specialized as 
nickel corners that are you know in the draft. I could be wrong. I might be completely wrong in speaking out of turn on that, but I think people have have him ranked as the best nickel corner in the draft, or you know one of the top nickel corners in the draft. And so that's the thing. It's like you're not always drafting a nickel corner that early, so maybe that's why he, he's kind of fallen out of mock drafts first rounds. Because back when we first started this podcast, one of the first episodes. I think in the news section, we talked about him being like a top 30 pick, I think, to the Browns or something like that. Um, maybe it was 27 or something like that. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's been crazy just to see the the rise that he's had. But, yeah, I think based on everything that we've heard, he's going to be maybe the the first the first UCF player picked. If not the first, definitely the second. But if you look at uh, – we'll run down the mock drafts real quick before we jump into the news because, again, we're coming up against the time. Um, but in the, the Kuiper McShay one, he was picked just 15 picks or 16 picks after, uh, Richie Grant. So in the second round to the bills, he was picked before Richie Grant in the Walter football mock second round, 48th overall to the Raiders, uh, behind Richie and the CBS mock only by 12 picks though. Second round to the saints. Uh, he was picked first out of any UCF player in the sporting news one, a 96th overall in the third round to the Patriots. The athletic has him going 63rd overall, um, just a little bit behind or actually a little while behind Richie to the chiefs at uh, in the second round. And then Chad Ruder of NFL.com and his four round mock had Robinson, the first UCF player picked second round 57th overall to the Rams. So yeah, I think that's one of the more interesting storylines to see is, is, is Aaron Robinson picked ahead of Richie Grant and in, in this year's draft. I think the most interesting storyline period is can UCF get two guys from a defense that allowed 34 points a game? taken in the first two rounds of the NFL draft because that actually would, feels like fairly likely it does it really does and you know I think that's that's going to be uh that's going to be it for you know our, our run out of each guy but one thing I'll just say to, to kind of wrap this up is it's going to be exciting we've talked about it it's really uh going to be an interesting draft class for UCF like you said it could be a record-setting one and I just who would have thought that would have been the case at the end of last year you know just what we who we've seen rise during this pre-draft process and you know what we've seen this class turn into uh, it's going to be exciting to see where everybody ends up. Oh, I thought you were going to – was I supposed to talk now? If you wanted to. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to jump right into the news, so I was just oh. like re- reading the I news. didn't know if you had any final thoughts um, to, to wrap up. I do. I do. I okay. concur. Okay, cool. Good to know. Um, we'll go ahead and jump into the news real quick <laughs> here. Uh, all sports-wise, UCF has won the All Sports War on I-4 trophy for the fifth straight year. Baseball clinched it on Saturday. Yeah, they did. Everybody's uh, very excited because UCF announced that their yard sale is coming back on May 8th. I'm going to be in Tampa for Mother's Day. I'm going to need Christian to go and get me a baseball jersey. I already have my tickets, and I'm already getting basketball jerseys for Zach. So send me your order. All right. And we I, mean, I don't know what they're going to have, but I, I will be on standby with my phone. That They will have items me. from all 16 teams. Yeah, okay, me. yeah. All right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's going to be uh, – I'm going to be extra nice to you over the next few weeks so you can uh, do that for me. Uh, football, Greg McRae was named to the NFF Hampshire, uh, Hampshire, Hampshire Honor Society. Uh, men's basketball had a little bit of news. CJ Walker is entering the NBA draft while maintaining his eligibility, just like Isaiah Adams did. I think most likely he would be back. I wouldn't, I'd be surprised if he's not. Um, volleyball, Kenna Melville was named uh, AVCA All-American Honorable Mention for the third straight season. And softball, they had a tough weekend against number 25, Wichita State. They went 0-3-1. and they lost seven to nothing on Friday, three to nothing, and five to two on Saturday. And then they tied zero to zero in eleven innings on Sunday. Uh, that game got called off due to, I guess, travel restrictions. Wichita State had to get uh, get back, and that's just a frustrating frustrating way to end that game in that series. 
Uh, Aaliyah White became UCF's all-time leader in complete games with her 96th career on uh, complete game on Sunday. And she was also named to the AAC's weekly honor roll uh, as well. They had a game against the women's national team, U.S. women's national team on Tuesday that got, unfortunately got canceled due to weather. But I think I saw they still got to do some, some training and some stuff with them. So probably still a cool experience for the players. Unfortunate for the fans not to get to see that. Uh, they're now 30-12-1 overall, 9-6-1 in the AAC. And that's got them fourth in the AAC standings. Uh, Poll-wise, they're number 25 in the USA Today slash NFCA coaches poll and the D1 softball rankings. They're number 28 in uh, RPI, and they dropped out of the ESPN.com slash USA softball collegiate top 25. Baseball, they had a better weekend than softball did. Uh, they won three out of four against South Florida over the weekend. They won six to nothing and five to two on Friday, won five to four on Saturday to win the series, and then they lost the series finale 11 to nothing. Couldn't quite complete the sweep, but they're now 17 and 19 overall, seven and five in the AAC, which also has them fourth in the AAC standings. Colton Gordon was named the AAC Pitcher of the Week with seven shutout innings and seven strikeouts against South Florida on Friday, while Pablo Ruiz was named to the AAC's weekly honor roll after hitting 429 with three doubles, a home run, and four RBIs over the weekend. Um, the big one, the big news of the weekend for uh, UCS sports was men's soccer. Christian and I were out there last Thursday night after we recorded the podcast. We saw them. Uh, they drew 1-1 against number four seed SMU, went to penalty kicks, and won 4-3 in PKs. Uh, in the AAC tournament semifinal that got them to Saturday's final against number two seed Tulsa. They won that game one nil on Luca Dorado's eighth minute strike. And that was enough to get UCF its first AAC tournament championship in program history. And a bunch of uh, Knights earned honors for, you know, the tournament. Yannick Ertl was named the most outstanding defensive player of the tournament, which was obviously very well-deserved while uh, Luca Dorado was named the most outstanding offensive player of the tournament. Six Knights were on the all AAC tourney team. That was uh, Ertl, Dorado, Yanis Learman, Mauricio Villalobos, Vega, um, Beto Idrach, and Gino Vivi. And uh, the winning the AAC got UCF its third consecutive NCAA tournament bid. They're now number 18 in the rankings, and they'll face number 17, James Madison, uh, in North Carolina on Sunday, May 2nd, starting their NCAA tournament run. We're hoping it's a long one. Um, and... After that, I just clicked out of the news. That is my fault. Men's tennis again. this week got a 4-0 win versus number 27 Memphis on Sunday and a 4-1 win versus number eight Tulsa on number 38 Tulsa on Tuesday. So they finished the regular season 19 and 3 overall and 7-0 in the AAC. I'm assuming that uh, Bailey has the news back up by now, so we'll Seamless. pass it back to him. Seamless. They uh <laughs> they now are entering the AAC tournament. Uh they have they're already have a bye into the semifinal. They're awaiting the winner of Memphis and Wichita State. Uh, playing Friday in the semifinal with a win. They could get to Saturday's final. They're number 11 in the Oracle slash ITA team rankings. Uh, Gabriel DeCamps fell to number seven in singles rankings, while Juan Pablo Grassi Mazzucci is up to number 90. Trey Hildebrand and Bogdan Pavel are ranked number 13th in doubles, and uh, Hildebrand and DeCamps are number 32. Women's tennis, they had uh, their probably their biggest win in program history, 4-3 over number four, Florida, Florida State, sorry, on Friday. It's their first win over a top five program in program history. Uh, they, they followed that up with a 4-2 win against number 46 Tulsa on Monday. They finished the regular season 15-4 and overall and 3-0 in the AAC. Then now they're also, they got a bye uh, in the first round. Most teams got byes in the first round. So they're in the quarterfinal already on Friday. They're awaiting the winner of Cincinnati and South Florida. Uh, they're up to number eight in the Oracle slash ITA rankings. That's their highest ranking in program history. Valeria Zaleva is number 19 in singles. She's the highest ranked singles player in program history for the third straight week. Rebecca Stolmar was ranked number 30 in singles as well. 
And uh, one final singles ranking uh, is Evgenia Levashova, who's ranked number 99. Stolmar and Marie Mattel ranked number 78 in doubles. Uh, women's golf, they had their AAC tournament uh, over the weekend or pre- leading into this week too all, as well. Um, they tied for they were tied for first after day one of the AAC tournament, and they were third after day two, and they finished fourth uh, after the final day. Tulsa won the AAC tournament. Uh, outdoor track and field, another strong weekend. They first day of the Tom Jones Invitational in Gainesville. Valerie Lastra picked up her fourth freshman record of the year in the 1500 meter run. Charlotte Crook had a, a personal best in her 1500 meter run, uh, while Danielle Best in the 200 meter dash and Victoria Young in the 3000 meter steeplechase, they all had personal bests as well. On the second day, Renaya Jones set a freshman record in the 100-meter hurdle for the four straight meet. Alexandra Del Rey uh, set a personal best in the 3,000-meter run, while Kalia Jones had her own personal best in the high jump. And the 4x4 relay team of Best, Kylan Kirkland, Samiria Bradwell, and Latasha Smith, they finished with a season best of their own. And Renaya Jones, for her, uh, for her efforts, her fourth straight um, freshman record uh, for the four straight meet, she earned AAC Track Athlete of the Week. So congratulations to her. And rowing, uh, they had three wins over Miami on Lake Pickett on Friday, and their varsity four was named AAC Boat of the Week. So a pretty a pretty good week for UCF all around, uh, and they're going to look to repeat some of that success uh, in this week. Softball will try to get back on track with a weekend series at Memphis. They have a, a doubleheader on Friday, then they'll play Saturday and Sunday. Baseball has a weekend series at number nine, ECU. Uh, doubleheader on Friday, and then they'll play Saturday and Sunday. Men's tennis, they'll play, like I said, in the tournament semifinal on Friday. Uh, women's tennis will play in the tournament quarterfinal on Friday. Men's golf has their AAC tournament Friday through Sunday in Brooksville, while women's golf is awaiting to see if they'll get an NCAA tournament bid. Outdoor track and field, they have the Knights invite on Friday and Saturday. And finally, rowing has the Lake Wheeler invite Friday against Duke and Saturday against North Carolina. So, Christian, we're on to you for your uniform of the week. We have our previous winners. Men's soccer has won four times, twice for the gray Pegasus uniforms and twice with the blackout kits. Uh, women's basketball has won once with the black uniforms. Baseball has two wins with uh, one with Pegasus, one with the road grays and football won it last week with the white, white, black that was worn, I think by the second team in the uh, spring game. So Christian over to you for your uniform of the week. It was an easy choice. It was an easy choice this week. Uh, a team more Citronaut stuff. They were going to win. That was a UCF <laughs> baseball. They had their lovely Citronaut hats, which are quite nice. I, I don't wear hats and I almost wanted to buy one. So that's really just how you know. Um, there was a little bit of a surprise. I expected that they were going to go with their black uh, jerseys with the white UCF logo. They did not. They went with the white Pegasus jerseys, which I thought wouldn't look good, but it did. And it's also, I might be wrong. There's a slim chance I'm wrong because I couldn't actually check every single uniform ever. But I believe that that's the first time the Citronaut and Pegasus have ever been featured on the same uniform for any UCF team. What do you mean you didn't have time to check every uniform ever? I did the best I could, guys. I actually tried. But um, <laughs> I could not find another instance of it. So I think that's I can't the first imagine time there was happened. one. Yeah, I don't think so. Because obviously football is the only pro- other program that really uses the Pegasus and their space uniforms have not had the Pegasus. One of them had the Pegasus in Constellation form, which I felt did not count. Um, but either way, it, it does. It, it's not the Pegasus. It's not the logo. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You're um, right. Yeah. So that is the winner this week. Congratulations to baseball for becoming the second for becoming the second sports to have multiple uniform of the week wins. But they, they already had multiple uniform of the week wins. I thought they only have one. No, they had Pegasus, and then you. Yeah, the you were ones. totally wrong. I forgot I picked the road race. I'm though. totally wrong. <laughs> no, I'm totally wrong. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
this was this <laughs> this just went just into a disaster this mode, was a but... chaotic end to the podcast we really <laughs> this was not yeah. a great close out. i had to sprint through the, the news and then i was right just now and you just told me i was wrong <laughs> But <laughs> congratulations, baseball. They're a three-time winner now, and now they have had three different uniforms. Um, that was a voice crack. They had three different uniforms um, win now, although the Pegasus has won twice technically. I guess the Pegasus jersey has. Um, but, yeah, congratulations to them. Then the teams are going to enjoy a, a little bit of um, a little bit of chance to win and pad their stats before uh, UCF football comes back. But, anyways, Christian, um, we are out of time. We've been out of time probably. But thank you all for listening so much and sticking with us through the uh, the chaotic end to this podcast. We really uh, enjoyed talking UCF in the NFL draft and kind of got carried away at times, probably. So uh, that explains the, the chaotic end here. But again, thank you for sticking with us. Appreciate you guys listening so much. We'll be back next week with episode 15. And until then, you can find us on Twitter at Bailey J. Adams 22 at by C.A. Simmons and at Night Sports Now. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody.